Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two. To the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here today to tell you a little bit about myself. <clears throat> so that way you know, going into this, who the fuck you are talking to. So I grew up in a in a, in a really nice neighborhood. Uh, I grew up on a golf course at the country club. Um, my parents, you know, they did okay. We were middle class, middle upper class, so to speak. Um, but it was interesting because we lived around people that were, you know, doctors and attorneys and my parents weren't doctors or attorneys. My mom was a teacher. My dad was uh, a vice president of a tobacco company. So like they had good jobs, but they weren't doctors or attorneys. So I think at an early age, like a heck, I always felt like I was, you know, not, I didn't quite size up to, the people that I was around. Now, I view that much differently now, which I'll get into later. But I think it had, I think it really affected my self esteem. Plus, I was fat. Um, I was a fat kid, um, overweight for sure. Um, and so, and I also, you know, also got into a lot of trouble as a kid. So, at age seven, I got caught stealing in a like a de- like a department store. It's called Roses. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, but it's like a, like a scaled down Walmart, so to speak. And it happened, just so happened. My first cousin was working that in that area. Um, I lived in Mount Airy, North Carolina, by the way, which is Mayberry, literally fucking Mayberry. So it wasn't like the town was very big. However, uh, my cousin did bail me out of the whole stupid ass me getting caught stealing it in roses. It was a pack of rubber bands, which made it even more stupid that I did that. Um, you know, and so I got my ass whipped, but pretty much that was it. We moved on. There was nothing, no legal trouble or anything like that. And then, so age 10, by, by age 10, I, I had started smoking um, not really smoking, but like I would steal packs of cigarettes from my dad and smoke, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't inhale the smoke. I mean, I did it a few times and got sick. So that, you know, um, but at age 10, I learned how to take a lighter, a cigarette lighter and blow flames with a hairspray. So 
I decided to go up. We had a barn that was up from our house. It was on the golf course. And, you know, the barn was really, it had hay in it. But the the reason for the barn, honestly, was so the guys could stop and pee whenever they got to that hole. Um, and that was really the whole point of it. And plus, it'd been there for God knows how many fucking years. Well, I went, the wind was blowing. So I went inside and I started to blow towards the hay inside the barn, which led to the barn burning clean to the ground. Needless to say, I got my ass whipped on that one also. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, I was a fat kid, was overweight. And that was due to my parents either, you know, they didn't know what we know now, right? We ate fried food. We ate dessert every fucking night. Like, they just didn't watch what we were supposed to eat. And I think, again, I think it was the lack of knowledge. Um, you know, the, 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 the diets then were like, you know, fat free stuff. Well, I'm pretty sure that most of us know at this point, fat free is not worth a fuck. You could eat fat free all day, but the sugar intake is going to, you know, do worse things to you than the fucking fat. But anyway, you have to excuse me, I'm got a cold, I'm starting to get over it. So at age twelve, um my parents got a divorce. I was in six going into my seventh grade year, six it was my sixth grade year. Um uh, and so I finished my sixth grade year. I did really well in school because I had a hard ass teacher. Um, and then, so, so this led to the, this list led to uh, a pretty big change in my life. I went to a pool party after that was, you know, for everybody that was in sixth grade, whoever was invited, you could come, you know, whatever. And, and so I went and I remember I went, I was jumping on the, jumping off the diving board and three girls were kind of sitting at the end of the pool three of the more popular girls. I said, Hey, do that again. So I'm thinking, okay, they, they must think I'm cute. Right. Well, <clears throat> so I go and I jump up and down. On the diving board, and so I see them kind of start laughing. I don't think anything of it. I jump in and they ask me to do it again. And so I did it again. This time you could see them there. You could see them laughing, you know, and I realized at that point that, my tits were bouncing up and down with me on the diving board. And that's what they were laughing at. So because I was fat, essentially they were laughing at me because I was fat. And so needless to say, I was humiliated. I was so humiliated. I can't even explain how embarrassed I was. And at that point I decided I have to make a change. I have to make a change in my life for the better, because I am not going to fuck sit here. I'm not going to fucking deal with this for the rest of my life. I'm just not. Oops. Sorry about that. So I just decided I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with that the rest of my life. I'm just, you know, it's whatever. So at that point, uh, I was also going through the transition of, moving well because my parents were getting the divorce we were moving out of the country club 
which meant all of my country club friends were going to no longer be my friends because, well, that's just how the shit happens. So I moved across town to, let's just, for the lack of better words, to the shittier part of town. And I don't know if I realized it quite at the time, but I was really devastated. I was really, my ego, I think, was hurt. My pride was hurt because... I had grew up and my backyard was hole number 13. And I love that. I love that. I could walk outside and see a green or see people playing or pick up a fucking golf club and go chip balls into onto the green. Like I love that. And when we moved, it was, it was really hard. Um, so I rebelled even more. Um, and I started smoking cigarettes more. And hanging out with people that were not the best influences. So, um, you know, I did shit like, uh, you know, not at 12, probably at age like 14 or 15. I stole my mom's car, drove it um, all the way to Myrtle Beach and back. Actually, I think I was probably 16 at this point because I don't think I would have done it at 15. I did steal the car at 15, but not not to drive it to Myrtle Beach. I would just, at 15, I would steal it just to drive it up and down the street. But I will tell you this, a cop, my mom called a cop and had him come to the house and warn me that if he caught me, I would be a deep shit and it scared the fuck out of me. It really scared the fuck out of me. Another thing that we did is we, so there was this field, there was woods behind our house and then there was construction equipment. And you couldn't really see the construction equipment, but if you ventured out through the woods, you could. And so we went over and we busted all of the like dials out of the construction equipment and we spray painted vulgar shit on it. Like, for example, we spray painted a big dick and balls on the side of one of the trailers. Well, that shit was in a newspaper. And my mom was like, Dude, I fucking know you had something to do with this. Um, I, of course, denied the hell out of it. And that was the end of it, sort of. I mean, I didn't, I never got in trouble. They never found out it was me, whatever. So when I was 16, I started working, I started a paper route. Um, which means that I would get up at 3 a.m. and I would deliver hundreds of papers before school. And then I would go to school. And so essentially how that worked is I would buy the papers and then resell them to people in the territory for a profit. So that, that's basically how that worked. And there's, I, there, I can tell you stories after stories after stories about the shit that happened there. You know, like I, that, I, I would definitely say my drinking had picked up at that point because especially in the winter, like I would have cold beer under the seat. And that's the first thing I would do at 3 a.m. was pop a beer. Excuse me. And like, how fucked up is that? Anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know, dude. I don't, I don't even think I realized that, that that was such an issue at that point. But anyway, so uh, let me take you back for a moment. Um, before the paper route about, I think it was 21 days after I got my license. I was in a terrible, 
terrible car, car wreck that almost cost me my life and two others. I actually walked away with just a scratch, but what had happened is I was driving really fast and I hydroplaned and spun three times and hit a car head on. Well, in that spinning, the girl that was in my vehicle was thrown out 85 feet into, you know, onto the asphalt, into the middle of the highway, actually. And they didn't even know she was part of the wreck until a tractor and trailer jackknife. I think that's why you say it, jackknife, to miss her. Um, and so needless to say, it was so she was in a coma for eight days. And the lady that I hit was in a coma for four days. Um, needless to say, that was, oh, God damn, that was a shit time, dude. It was a shit time because, like, I had no transportation. I had gotten a fucking DUI because, here, this is why I said my first cousin was going to come into play. My first cousin gave me a DUI because he smelled where I had sprayed the pina colada spray in my car to cover up the cigarette smoke because I promised my mom I would stop smoking cigarettes if she would just let me get my license. That was a lie. And so he cited me a DUI. First fucking cousin. Well, needless to say, I I mean, I didn't even, at this point, I did not drink. So I, you know, the blood test came back and I was, you know, no charges were were pursued, but in the paper, it said that I got a DUI, and the girl that was with me, her father is a preacher, and her mother is crazy as a motherfucker, so she threatened my life if I ever came near their house again, because, you know, she's obviously upset because her daughter is fucking in a coma, I mean, rightfully so, she should be upset, um, so the good news with all of that is they both came out fine. Uh, now, you know, they had multiple surgeries. My, the girl that was with me had, her foot was completely crushed. So they had to reconstruct her foot. I can't tell you, I, I don't even know how many fucking times, but it was not good. That's for sure. So, um, Let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I graduated high school after, so I switched high high schools because I wanted to go to the high school where the girl was that I threw out of the car. Well, I skipped too many days and I was going to fail my 12th grade year. So I called my dad, let him know. My dad, of of course, called the the, uh, principal at the first high school that I went to, Mount Airy. And got me back in, and I wound up making straight A's and B's. Actually, all A's and one B. <clears throat> so, you know, once again, bailed out. So I decided not to go to college at that time, and I went to work for my father's company in tobacco. And this is where I would say my drinking really escalated. Now, at this point, I had I had tried cocaine um, I, of course, smoked some pot, which I didn't really care for. Um, you know, Xanax, Valium, Clonopin, all that good shit I, I had done. 
And, but, but by the time I got, so, so by taking this job, I had to move to Wilson, North Carolina, which was, you know, fucking to me, the armpit of the United States. Um, I knew nobody there and, you know, I was still seeing a girl that I've been seeing for a year. And so I was a little bit homesick, to be honest. Um, but the where the reason I say my drinking really kicked up at this point was because so I was kind of so I was in training to follow sell in tobacco. What that means is I would follow like an auction where the guys say did one, two, three, four, you know, whatever. So I would have to learn all that shit. It was kind of cool actually. But uh at five o'clock every day, these guys would drink and some i mean fuck there were nights that they would drink till two three o'clock in the morning because they'd go to a strip club it was fucking nuts i mean like these motherfuckers like it was crazy it was absolutely crazy and so we worked only monday through thursday and and then within we only work six months a year but that's the, the the point is is i was like their driver but i would still drink with them so i was essentially their drunk driver I don't even know how that makes any sense, but it worked out. I never got in trouble, but <clears throat> needless to say, my drinking definitely kicked up quite a notch at that point. So the company let me go because they, well, I, I, I had an incident and, and a guy above me said, hey, I need you to pick up the cigarette butts around the patio area. And I said, that's not my job. Well, Looking back now, it was my fucking job because he was above me and he asked me to do something that he felt like I needed to do. And I was so egotistical shithead that I was like, eh, that's, that's beneath me. I'm not doing it. Well, that was fucking stupid. So if you're listening to this and you've ever made that stupid ass comment, think about it next time because it is it will not serve you. I promise you. Um, all right, so let's move on. <clears throat> so I left the company, moved from Wilson back to Mount Airy, and then I moved to Charlotte to attend a community college. And in Charlotte, oh shit, this is where drinking, drugs, everything kicked up 200%. First night I was there, I got alcohol poisoned, like no shit. Literally had to go home for three days, sick as fuck. First fucking day I was there. It's ridiculous. Um, and I actually cheated on my girlfriend that first day I was there that I practically moved down there with. So I was just not fucking thinking, dude, I was just wide open. And so, uh, so I, you know, began to go to school. Also started working in a bar and, or it was a bar slash restaurant as a server and it was cool as shit. It was downtown. It was wild as fuck. There was a jazz bar downtown, uh, downstairs. There was a restaurant in the middle and there was some shit upstairs, but I don't remember what it was, but it was by far one of the coolest spots in Charlotte. So the manager would give me the option to clock out as I wanted to do my side work. And if you've ever worked in a restaurant, you understand what that means. But if you haven't, I'll explain. It's just where you roll the silverware. You make sure all the salt and peppers and shit are filled up. You know, just 
it's called cyborg. Anyway, he would allow me to clock out and drink beer uh, while I did my side work. So that was a good deal for me because at that point I was full blown fucking drunk. I mean, like, like I would go to work in the morning. I would drink a pint of vodka on the way there. And then I would work my shift in the morning and then I would go down to the bar down the street. It was uh, called shit. I can't remember what it's called, but they had Gator Tail, which was really good. Yeah, I don't remember the fucking name of it. doesn't matter. But I was in with the bartender because I went there so often. And so I would drink Royal Flushes, which is Crown Royal, Cranberry, and something else. I don't remember what. Stops, Stops, maybe. It was good as shit. So um, I remember specifically one day we went down and had about eight of these rocks glass full uh, Royal flushes with probably eight Newcastle. I would say, I mean enough, like I was so mother, so fucking junk. And so I went back to work, but I couldn't, I couldn't function. I couldn't barely stand up. So I just sat in the back alley and I was just, just hammered. I mean, I don't, I mean, there's nothing I could do. So needless to say, I got fired. Um, shit time. So, you know, right after that, um, I had turned 21 and I got my first DUI that shortly after I turned 21 and then within 30 days, I got a second DUI and it was by the same exact fucking cop. My first one was from now that's a pretty rare thing to happen with a city as big as Charlotte. So, um, so also what's funny about that is I was supposed to be in court that same day that he pulled me over for my second DUI. And I thought my attorney was going to be in court. Well, I was wrong. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. So he, of course, arrested me and, you know, the whole deal, uh, got to go to jail, get bailed out, whatever. Well, uh, I lost my license for eight years. Um, and then I stopped making payments on my vehicle. So it was going to be repoed. So I decided to go out and jump it and do donuts and basically do fuck the whole vehicle up because it was just an asshole. I was just selfish fucking prick. And so that was a rough time, dude. Like I look back and it was a lot of fun, but God damn, it cost me a lot, man. It cost me so much. Um, 
fast forward a little bit. I decided, all right, Charlotte's no good. I need to get the fuck out of here. I had a good friend that was, uh, that worked for a Senator here in North Carolina who worked directly. He was his right hand man. He said, Hey, I could get you, I could get, get you on as a, a gig to go to the convention, national, the Republican national convention and sell memorabilia. So what that means is we sold buttons, basically buttons. Let's just leave it at that. And then we would, but we would sell, you know, to the protesters and we would sell to the Republicans. Right. It was so much fun because I got to go into the convention. I got to see all these people. It was needless to say, it was pretty cool. And that first time I did that was in um, Philly. So I'd never been to Philly and it was, it was so, it was so much fun. Um, the second one I did was in New York and same situation. We all piled up in this big penthouse. It was, you know, I was doing blow the whole time. It was, it was a lot of fun. It really was. After that, the guy that owned the, memorabilia business asked me and a friend if I wanted, if we wanted to follow Al Gore on his, you know, on his tour around the country to, you know, to promote him being president. So we did. And we were coming through West Virginia and dude, my fucking buddy and I, we had pot in the car and we had some pills in the car that weren't ours. And so he decided he was going to snort a no-dose, which I can only imagine that hurts, but whatever. Um, and a cop saw him do it. And so the cop searched the car and arrested us both because he found marijuana and he found the pills and he thought he found, you know, residue of cocaine, but it wasn't. So yeah, they take us to jail Fucking jail cells are pink. I couldn't make this shit up, dude. Like pink jail cells, and in West Virginia, to say the least. <clears throat> so I convinced the guy, "Listen, we got it. We have got to get to this next event, and it starts tomorrow. And we have to be there. And it was four, five, six hours. I can I don't remember how far it was. Hell, I don't even remember where the event was. Tennessee, maybe where he's from. Maybe that's where it was. But anyway." So the guy let us go and in, in, because we promised to come back and pay him whatever the fucking money was. And we did, we came back and paid him like two days later. And, and so that was kind of the end of that little trip. It was really unsuccessful to be honest with you, but it was a good experience. Um, yeah, it was a really good. I'm still friends with the guy today that I was with. Um, he's such a, he's a great dude. Anyway, so I moved back to Mount Airy again, and this time I moved into an apartment with a friend. I think my friend at the time was maybe depressed a little bit. I don't know, but we did. You know, we did did some drugs. I sold some drugs. I got back in the game. Blah blah blah. Whatever. So I had, you know, things just weren't going good. Corey's life was just fucked up. 
because I was constantly doing drugs. I wasn't really going to school anymore. Like, I really just wasn't doing anything but drinking and doing drugs, working at a fucking restaurant in Mount Airy. So, you know, it was just a dead end fucking job, life, whatever. So I had this bright idea to move to Las Vegas and stay with a good friend of mine. So I, I, I took a train out there, which took me five motherfucking days to get out there, which, by the way, I wasn't smart enough to get a sleeper cabin because I didn't know I'd never been on a train. So I didn't know that's what I was supposed to buy. And I strapped a pound of cocaine on my legs, which was really stupid because I strapped it on with fucking tape that has metal in it. Anyway, so fortunately that worked out. I didn't have any fucking hair on my leg after I pulled it off. Well, you have five days on a train. You meet people. And so I met people and we partied. We did some coke on the train and, you know, it was... I mean, it was definitely something I will never forget. I... Dude, there were times I woke up and that fucking train was stopped. All the lights were out and like, I didn't know where the fuck we were or what the fuck was going on. I didn't know anything. Nobody knew anything. So I get to Las Vegas and uh, my buddy has a job for me on the set of Ocean's Eleven. And I was just a, a, like a fill-in, stand-in, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I did that for like two weeks. It was the most boring fucking job I have ever done in my life because you just stand there and do nothing. You know, granted, you see some cool people, but it's not like you're fucking hanging out with them. It's not like you're, you know, fucking giving them fist bumps. You're, you know, hundreds of feet away. Anyway, you can't even see me in the film, but I did. I was in several scenes. I don't guess they cut those out. I don't know. Doesn't really fucking matter. Um, so, um, once the coke ran out, uh, my buddy and I started messing with mess a little bit and his girlfriend found out and kicked us both the fuck out of the house. So we went to this big fat lady's house that was definitely on meth. I don't know how she was fat, but she was, but she was definitely on meth. She was also, this is creepy as fuck. The house was filthy. First of all. And second of all, she was a, she was like a nine hundred number lady so like you know i would hear her on the phone like talking you know complete just dirty shit to some stranger that's paying just to be on a fucking phone call with somebody and it was insane like it just blows my mind that people would anyway i could go on that for days but if they knew what that bitch looked like it would be a whole different ball game anyway so, um, so I moved in with a guy and his girlfriend in Vegas. So at this time I was working at a place called NOS communications and what NOS communications did was they essentially took business owners phone lines and they switched them over and charged them a fuck ton of money to get them back. It was needless to say, it was the scammiest shit I've ever been involved with. And I just didn't know at the time. I didn't know that's what it was. I had no fun. I was oblivious. I just knew I was making a lot of money. And that's all I cared about. Well, um, 
so that job, you know, if you were there more than three months, you were doing good. And I stayed there nine and there was another shift that happened and I was like, all right, I'm out. So I went and started working for another guy. I worked for the guy, I worked with the guy that I lived with. Um, and then I started fucking with these guys that lived above me and they were doing, they were cooking math. They were doing all kinds of shit. It was crazy. But the connection was the guy was from the Eastern part of, of the United States. He was from New Jersey or New York, some fucking where, but he was the only guy I knew from the East coast. I mean, it's just different. How when you, when you go to the West coast and you meet somebody from the East coast, it's like you're automatically cl- connected i don't know how to explain that because i guess you just don't meet a whole lot of people from the east coast anyway so him and i clicked and you know he had asked me he said hey do you want to do a line and i'm like fuck yeah of course well i didn't realize it was a line of meth well there's a huge difference in cocaine and meth um meth feels like you're snorting crushed up glass and it feels just like that if you can imagine that going into your nose it lit my fucking nose on fire and i'm like what the fuck is this he was like oh it's meth i'm like oh well that would have been helpful for you to tell me well you know meth's so popular out there because it's so cheap anyway so i started hanging out with him and you know, we, um, you know, we partied and hung out with these guys. I can't wait to tell you this part. So there's a guy, there's two guys, one's named Ed and the other, his name is Stormy. All right. So Ed and Stormy were in some kind of correctional facility together. They both had tats all the way up and down. I mean, they were fucking hardcore, like, gangbanger. I guess that's how you describe them. Like, they they just didn't give a fuck, dude. Like, one of the guys had a key that would fit any Saturn he set his ass into. I saw it. It was unfucking real He would just sit, and he'd go and open the door and fucking steal a Saturn. Like, it was nothing. Every day, he was still a different Saturn. Unfucking believable. And so, <clears throat> I remember vividly. Now, just pay, paint this picture in your head. I was sitting. I'm, I'm a young. You know, I'm not a huge guy at all. Like 160 pounds, five nine, from Mayberry. So I'm sitting on the couch in my buddy's apartment, not the one I live with, but the guy upstairs that did all the math and shit. And I have Stormy on my right. And I have Ed on my left. We're all three sitting on the couch. You know, I'm getting getting along with everybody just fine. It's all good. And, you know, we're watching. There was something on television. I don't know if we were necessarily watching it. Well, the news came on, like a news flash thing. And I'm looking at it. Motherfucking Stormy and motherfucking Ed, both of their faces are on the goddamn television. They robbed a fucking casino the night before. I bet you my eyes were as big as saucers. I did. I just, I was fucking froze. I was like, I I didn't even know what to say. I sure as fuck didn't know what to do. So, um, 
I just kind of sat there and acted like nothing was wrong. I mean, I didn't know what to do. I really, really didn't know what to do. So fortunately, they trusted me enough that they didn't do anything to me, which after the fact, Ian, the, the guy that lived upstairs, he was like, I'm surprised they didn't kill your ass. So, you know, I could needless to say I was a bit freaked out with that whole situation. So I went down to a casino. Um, this was the next day or two after I got paid and I blew all my fucking money. So then I lied to my dad and I said, Hey, I got robbed. And so he was like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to wire you some money. I'm going to put some money in your account. Then I'm going to buy, buy you a plane ticket to Raleigh and, and I'm going to pick you up. And if you're not on that goddamn plane tomorrow morning, by whatever time that fucking plane leaves, I will drive to uh, Las Vegas and find you and drag you the fuck back here. Now, my dad, was he was upset, but he was worried about me, naturally. And see, I didn't see all this at the time. Now I understand it because I have a child. But, like, I didn't understand all that. I just thought, that you know, whatever. So I got back to Wilson. I worked in a restaurant for a little while and kind of got my act straight. It was crazy. I would remember I would lay in bed at night and I would just think about the fucking machines and think about the numbers and the sounds and the lights. And I mean, when I talk about full on addiction, like, God dang, like I, I could hear, I mean, I could taste the math. I could hear the sounds. It was just, Gambling and gambling, you put gambling and math together, you just might as well hang it the fuck up because you're you're, you're done. So anyway, so I, I stayed there with uh, my stepmom and my dad for a while, and then I got my license back. <clears throat> but it was sort of an accident. They sent me my license, and for 48 hours, I had a legitimate driver's license. And the reason for that, and by the way, this is only four years after. So remember, I told you I got it taken for eight years. Well, the first or second DUI had not come through yet. So um, I got a letter 48 hours later, your license is revoked for another four years. I was fucking devastated, but I'd already bought a car. I'd already planned to move to Raleigh. I'd already per you know, put an apartment already set everything was done so i moved to raleigh with no driver's license but with a car i just said fuck it i barely drove <clears throat> well once i got to raleigh history repeats itself started fucking with cocaine again and became a distributor and what i mean by that is the guy that i started buying it from told me that he was moving and he wanted to turn his business over and i was his first choice of people that he wanted to turn it over to this business made a whole bunch of, it made a lot of money. And for him to trust me to connect me with his guy, it was a lot of trust. And, and so he did. And, and, and I took off and started making, you know, really good money. And then 
you know, in this process, I also started working at a, a mortgage company as a loan officer. Um, really primarily just so I could have it, say I had a job really. Um, and I worked there for a while, but my boss miscalculated some, this was when the, the, this is when the rates were just so low. Um, I mean like 2.9, maybe 2.5 it was low as shit. And he didn't lock in a bunch of loans. And I don't know if, how much you know about loans, but if you don't lock a fucking loan in and you promise somebody a number, if I tell you that you could have an APR at 2.9% and I don't lock that in and tomorrow it jumps to 5.9. Well, guess what? Somebody's got to pay that difference and it's not going to be the person you promised the, the, the rate to because they didn't do anything. So needless to say, his little, his branch went out of business and I just decided to fuck it. I would do my, I, I would just keep kind of dealing drugs full time because I was making plenty of money. You know, I was living and I had a casino that I literally, literally a casino that I ran upstairs out of my apartment. Um, I had a little loft that had, you know, a poker table and everything and I would run games out of my townhouse. Well, uh, sometime within all this, I also received my third EUI. Well, um, at that point, um, well, at that point is when I got caught with four ounces of cocaine. It was all bad, all bagged up, ready to sell, um, and eight balls and half grams and grams. And I mean, it was blatantly obvious that I was going to sell it without a shadow of a doubt. The cop pulled me over and I didn't, I wasn't doing anything wrong. So he said he pulled me over for tinted windows, but I don't really believe that. I think I was probably set up, but I would have to be because I didn't, there's no way he pulled me from fucking tin and windows. Anyway, he found all the shit and then he had, to, then he went into my house and he raided my house, took all my money, took my car, took every fucking thing, took everything. And I don't know what happened with the judge that day, but he saw something in me that he thought was worth salvaging. And he, he gave me two options. He said, you got 48 hours to find a rehab and it's gotta be six months or less, or I'm going to send you to prison for four, four years practically. So fortunately my stepmom at the time found a rehab center that would allow me to come in. And so I stayed there. It was on, on site. It was like, Jesus, you know, Jesus, 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 Bible. It was, you know, not what I was used to. And look, I believe in God. Don't get me wrong in the universe. And I totally believe in all that, all of that, but I don't feel like you should cram your fucking religion down someone's throat. And that's what I felt like was happening. But guess what? I couldn't do shit about it because I was there or I was going to prison. So I was going to be, I had to do what I was supposed to do. So, um, I finished the six months. I had to, 
because it was such a Christian-based program, I had to be married in order to leave that program. Well, I was leaving that fucking program. I can tell you that. So the girl that I was seeing, we got married. And it was, honest to God, it was out of convenience. As shitty as that sounds, that's exactly what it was. Shortly after that, you know, it was that was an absolute nightmare. I can't even begin to tell you the verbal abuse, the threatening of, you know, she, she at one point threatened to spike my drink with cocaine and call my probation officer, which would have been sent me to prison if I didn't do X, Y, Z. It was insane. Like, I can't even tell you how insane. So... As soon as I got my damn license back, I left. I was out. So after my divorce, I was still drinking pretty heavily. And because of that, I found myself jobless again. I was severely depressed, suicidal. Um, and so I had this fascinating idea that I would that I would go to Greensboro, which was about an hour, 15 minutes away and try to prostitute myself out, put an ad on Craigslist. I was like, okay, you know, fuck it. I might as well try to make money this way. I was really not in a good spot, but what was worse because I did not get one single motherfucking hit on my ad. So not only did I was I completely humiliated by doing this to begin with, but on top of that, I failed at it. Which is, I mean, you know, god damn, that was... Anyway. So, needless to say, it was a pretty low point in my life. I was... You know, it was just unreal. Like, I was so embarrassed and disgusted with myself. And I don't actually know if I've ever shared this before. Um, all right, so let's fast forward a moment. Um, so I got sober for my third time on August 12th, 2009, and I have not had a drink since, and or a drug for that matter. Um, at that point, I started a as a sales consultant with O2 Fitness, which finally got a job. And that was the same month that I got sober. So um, I did have a device on my car, by the way, for seven years that I had to blow into to start my vehicle. Seven motherfucking years. And if you ate the wrong thing, that damn thing would set off and send a signal to the DMV saying that you were drinking and, you know, blowing into the thing. Well, that thing, man, it was finicky as shit. So needless to say, I was, I went in one time, went in two times. I think it was my second or third time. The lady said, look, motherfucker, basically, if you come back in here again, I'm going to take your license and you'll never fucking drive again. So it was, yeah, my God, it was seven long years, but the good news is I could drive. So, um, from the sales consultant gig, I did so well at that. They moved me into a fitness director role at a different club, which was great. I did, I excelled at that. Um, then I decided to train full time, which I was the top trainer in the company for the entire time I was there, except for I think two months. Uh, I did get remarried again for a short time. So this is number two. Um, 
And that was, you know, a fail, needless to say. And so then I got, you know, and then I met the woman who I'm married to now, which is the love of my life and my best friend. I couldn't have asked for anybody any better, really. So, um, you know, during my time at, so right before I met, or right around the time I met Autumn, my wife, um, she, so, so I had started a company called Fast RX that was some personal training company, but it was like 25 miles away from where I was. And the, the reality was I did it as a shell company, not really to make money because I really wasn't making any money. I was doing some TRX classes, but that's it. So my ex-wife decided that she would go ahead and tell the people I work for that I started a different company and I was, you know, double dipping or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And they fired me on December 31st, 2013. And I had just got into a relationship with Autumn. So it was needless to say the worst fucking time on the planet that I could have gotten to fire, which I guess, you know, I guess there's no good time to get fired. But the, this ladies and gentlemen was a, def, the, for sure, one of the most defining moments in my life. And I'll tell you that because I've always wanted to start a business, be a business owner. It's, it's been my goal since I was a kid. I don't know why it just has. And so I was forced by being fired to start my own business. And I, so that's what I did. And I hustled my fucking ass off and I built a personal training business that, you know, it was a six figure business. It was awesome. And during that time, um, I had hooked up with a guy and got into some telemedicine with HCG and some, uh, IGF one, uh, IGF one LR three, which are peptides, um, you know, Viagra shit like that. So, um, so one of my part, one of my, one of my clients said, Hey, um, said, uh, I would love, you know, why don't, why don't we start a storefront of the, you know, doing the, the hormone replacement with testosterone and everything. And I was like, like, yeah, this is perfect. So it's basically a medical spa. Well, my partner, um, had, uh, very little education. He's not a dumb guy. He, I mean, he made quite a bit of money in construction, but you know, I business, I guess business wise, we, we, you know, I could name a million reasons why things went south, but either way, him and I split ways October, 2018. So we started the business October of 2017. One year later, he came and sent my office and said, Hey, I'm not paying you anymore. I, and, and I was in disbelief. I couldn't believe it to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. There was rage. There was fear. I'd love to tell you that I handled it well, but I didn't. I threw a phone against the wall. I busted it. I was so fucking furious because I had built that goddamn medical spot from the ground up, dude. Like I was the only motherfucker that built it. He didn't do shit, but put the money in. And so, you know, so at this point, I, so I had already sold my personal training business, put the money into this, and the amount of time was ridiculous. 
So I owned 50% of the company. So when we split up, you know, October 15th rolls around and he still didn't pay me. So I just rented a U-Haul and took half the shit. Well, needless to say, that started a firestorm. I'll tell you something funny about that. I installed a camera to watch my employees that they did not know was in there, nor did my partner know was in there. And so I got to watch them the next day, scurry around and look for this and look for that and try to figure out what the fuck was going on. It was, it was quite funny. I'm not going to lie to you. I wish I kept that recording, but anyway, so then in November, I went to go see Tony Robbins and my life has never been the same since I have dealt, you know, I've, I've been on this personal development journey since really July of 2018. And so I went to see Tony. It changed my life. I went and got my um, license in uh, hypnotherapy, hypno hypnotherapy. Um, I got my NLP practitioner life and business coaching, you know, um, just, just getting better at, at being a good person, I guess you could say. I mean, I don't know any other way of saying it, really. Um, and so it was interesting because I didn't really realize why I was doing all the things that I was doing. I just knew that the direction God's path this was God's path for me. I mean, I didn't really know why, but here we are. Um, and I've done several things throughout this year that have been positive. Um, and one of the most important things I is, is that I've, you know, I've changed as a person. Um, I've emerged from being a selfish negative person and now being, more of a giving person and more of a selfless person. Um, you know, this is not, this wasn't me, dude. This was not me. I was probably the most selfish human being I've ever met in my life until my wife handed me a book that said, okay, fine. I'm grateful. And it's a book that I journal in every day. And so here we are, um, fast forward a little bit. And I am, you know, I started this podcast. I went to RTA Live, and a good friend of mine, Chris and Leanne Saunders, invited me to go with him as their guest. And when I did that, I met a lot of really awesome people, but it jump-started something inside of me. It started a fire, and I met this guy, Ryan uh, Williams, as I was leaving. And I said, hey, Ryan, I'm starting a podcast. Would you like to be on as a guest? And he said, yes, that'd be awesome, man. I would love that. And I, this fucking mic's been sitting on my desk for three months at that point. I had not done anything with it. So what this did essentially was put me in a position where I had no choice but to move and take action. So I did. And I started messaging people and I started talking to people and I started getting more people booked. And then I started getting more people. And I got some really big ass things. And so the story 
is that, you know, no matter where you are in life, if you look for the opportunities, which they're laying around everywhere, you just have to look for them. You get what you look for. And when you see that opportunity, dude, you got to take a hold of that motherfucker like it's a bull and hop on and ride. Because if you don't, you're going to have regret. And I know for me, I don't want to die with regret. I want to die knowing I made a change in somebody's life. And that's what I believe this podcast is doing. So if you're still listening to the story, thank you so much. I do appreciate it. And look, dude, there's some great fucking episodes coming up. Great episodes coming up. There's some that have already dropped, but um, yes, because I re and I redid this story. So that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. Anyway, that's enough. I'm done rambling. Talk to you guys later. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.